have a fir our first message by Reg Noland, and it is entitled Visions of the Future. I'm always fascinated by the messages displayed on t-shirts. I saw a t-shirt once that said, heaven is where the police are British, the chefs are Italian, the mechanics are German, the lovers are French, and it's all organized by the Swiss. Hell is where the police are German, the chefs are British, the mechanics are French, the lovers are Swiss, and it's all organized by the Italians. Now, anyone who has studied European history, particularly in the 19th and 20th century, can appreciate the irony of that statement. Here we are at the beginning of a new year, and it's appropriate then to take stock of the events of the past year or so, and to consider how they will impact the future. People who contemplate such events and speculate upon the visions of the future are called futurists. And they usually fall into one or two camps. Some of them believe that humanity will evolve into this utopian society uh, of advanced human beings. While others believe that mankind will degenerate into a post-apocalyptic wasteland. A Mad Max sort of dystopia. Of course, we know that ultimately the kingdom of God shall prevail on earth with Jesus Christ as king and all of us as an administrative kingdom of priests. But there are some misconceptions about that too. Today, what I'd like to do is to explore with you these visions of the future and see what we can ferret out. Um, the key to the future, which, um, <coughs> the key to which future we'll have does not lie in any externally imposed rules or laws or will it be created and maintained by force or walls? Rather, the key to the future lies in the human heart. The human heart is the key to the future. Jeremiah, though, tells us in uh, 17, 9, and 10, the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? I, the Lord, search the heart. I test the mind, even to give every man according to his ways, according to the fruit of his doing. So, if we are left to our own devices, then humanity is doomed. Humanity is doomed. As Jesus Christ described in all of that prophecy of Matthew 24. Let's turn to that and read through the passages what he led up to. Um, Matthew 24, uh, start at verse 3. Uh, now, as he sat on the Mount of Olives, the disciples came to him privately saying, Tell us. Uh, when these things will be, and what will be the sign of your coming, and the end of the age. And Jesus said unto them, Take heed that no one deceive you. For many will come in my name, saying, I am Christ, and will deceive many. Now, please note something here. When they come and say, I am, uh, I am Christ, they are not claiming to be Christ. They are, instead, they are saying, this guy over here, this is Jesus Christ. He's pointing to the actual Jesus. But what they're doing is they're giving lip service to him instead of actually uh, obeying his commandments, keeping his commandments, or following on his path. They are giving lip service to Christ, saying, this is the Christ. But they pointing, who are they pointing to? 
they're pointing to that long-haired hippie uh, from um, the traditional images of Christ. So, okay, continuing, um, next verse. We, and you will hear of wars and rumors of wars. See that you not be troubled, for all these things must come to pass, but the end is not yet. For nations shall rise against nation, and kingdom against kingdom. There will be famines, that's hunger, and pestilence, that's disease, and earthquakes in various places, those are natural disasters. All these are but the beginning of sorrows, and they will deliver you up to tribulation and kill you. And you'll be hated by all nations for my name's sake. And then many will be offended. And will betray one another. And will hate one another. So we have a world filled with hatred. Um, then many false prophets will arise up. And deceive many. And because lawlessness, lawlessness will abound. The love of many will grow cold. Ours is a world of lies and deceit. Of wars and rumors of wars, where nations are led by egotistical, vain leaders that play the game of brinksmanship with people's lives. A world where hunger, disease, natural calamities such as floods and earthquakes, instead of manufactured crises, run rampant. Continue in verse 19. And woe to those who are with child, and to those who give suck in those days. But pray that your flight is not in the winter nor on the Sabbath day. For then shall be great tribulation, such as not was, since it was not since the beginning of the world, no, uh, to this time, no, nor shall ever shall be. And unless those days should be shortened, no flesh shall be saved. Moffat adds the word alive. But for the elect's sake, those days shall be shortened. In other words, without the intervening hand of God, the mags, Mad Max vision of dystopia would become reality. What does that world look like? It is a dry, desert wasteland. The aftermath of a capricious nuclear war, for no sane person would ever wage nuclear war, where most human beings are dead or dying from radiation poisoning. For those few who survive the nuclear holocaust, the only morality is survival. Survival. Self-centered greed. Murder and vengeance are the rule of law. Thievery and violence prevail. Slavery and brutality are commonplace. The landscape is a bombed out junkyard strewn with plenty of barbed wire fences for those who want fences in a futile attempt to deter marauders. The life expectancy eh, may be about 23, if you're lucky. Here is the end result of the human heart filled with pride, envy, wrath, greed, lust, hatred, bigotry, deceit, and vanity. This is the mindset of competition over cooperation, of ego over humility, vanity and selfishness over compassion, deceitfulness over veracity, profanity over nobility. It is the heart contrary to the will of God and to natural affection. Rather, this is the world 
that fulfills the dream of the father of lies, of the enemy of mankind, of our adversary, Satan the devil. That's the Mad Max world that we would inherit if we just follow the human heart. In sharp contrast, the utopian futurists paint for us a nearly ideal state with a one-world cooperative government. No, that's not an, an oxymoron. It is possible to have a cooperative government, okay? Uh, overseeing all people with a single set of laws. There is no war, no guns, no munitions, no bombs, no weapons, no pollution, no disease, no poverty, no crime, no greed, no dishonesty, it is a world with full employment, with everyone working, and more importantly, working at a job that he loves, working with a sense of purpose and value. People work and play in harmony here, with no racism, sexism, ageism, or hatred, where people um, work joy willingly and joyfully. Notice the emphasis I'm putting on work. We're still working where each one strives for growth and for self-improvement instead of for gold or money or treasure. In this world, everyone has a permanent residence, a home, whether it is a standalone house or an apartment as part of a communal dwelling, because some people really don't want the upkeep of a home. They'd rather have a, uh, just an apartment. Uh, um, and, and no, here's the important thing. No property ever requires locks or keys. Wouldn't that be nice? Get rid of all these things, cutting holes in our pockets. Yes, individuals can own property, but the amassing wealth in and of itself is not the goal. Since crime is gone, so has the fear that has tethered us, uh, that has tethered us, has disappeared. We can advance as far as we wish to, because each person has ready access through our mobile phones or, what, or computers, uh, ready access to information and entertainment for his learning or amusement. There is clean water and clean air in a lush green environment with rain in this due season. Storms such as tornadoes, hurricanes, cyclones, blizzards, etc., are all under the control of the weather net. And things like earthquakes and volcanic eruptions are under the control of the Terranet. These are elements common to all the utopian futurist view of the world. But in truth, there are actually two versions of the utopian world. One of them it sees us evolving into technologically advanced human beings who have created this dazzling wonder world with machines to perform all the unpleasant tasks for us. This is the Buck, Buck Rogers and Star Trek kind of vision of the future. The other utopian vision sees us reverting back to a much simpler way of life, but with minds that have developed near superpowers, such as the ability to heal, to communicate clearly with mind-to-mind -mind telepathy, but with the courtesy to respect another person's privacy to manipulate objects with the mind alone through telekinesis, to teleport to another location instantly just by thinking about it. This is the vision of the 
the gentle, the rustic, uh, Stargate, Stargate Knox community. You're familiar with the Stargate program. Uh, <coughs> anyway, uh, sadly, neither one of these utopian visions are likely to occur precisely because of the biblical key that I mentioned at the beginning uh, of this message. It would require a change in the human heart for either one of these utopian worlds to come about. If we let the human heart progress as it would naturally, we end up with Mad Max. If we have a change in the human heart, maybe we can get a utopia. They would fail for the same reason that communism failed. And it did fail. For the utopian vision, particularly the Knox version, to become reality, would we require a heart that is overflowing with love, filled with simple trust, compassion, and faith? Rather than a heart that places ego first and competes for scarce resources, one that would have to be altruistic, showing outgoing concern for the welfare of others above himself, trusting in faith, that others in kind would show the same outgoing love for him. He would act on faith, free of worry, knowing that each day is sufficient to itself. But to be that trusting requires a kind of courage that very, very few have. These are, as I said, extreme visions of the futurist. But there are others that assert that neither of these extremes is realistic. They assert instead that it is more likely that we lack the courage of either of these two extremes and that we'll, we will merely continue to limp along until we simply die out. That humanity goes out not with a bang, but with a whimper. However, none of these futurists would dare to profess what we all know. None of them would dare to profess what we all know. While it is true that humanity probably deserves destruction, we have a God who loves us enough to save us from ourselves. Now we can claim no virtue for this outcome, and it would probably be pure vanity to do so. Rather, it is the affirmation of how great the love of God really is. By himself, he has sworn to make us, to, to make an end of our being. But salvation will not come without correction. Salvation will not come without correction. The trials that we have at the beginning of the Feast of Tabernacles every year. Everyone knows when you go to the feast, the first couple of days, Things are in chaos. But what happens? As the week gets on, goes on, things run smoother and smoother and smoother. Until by the end of the week, we've got things down to a sign. Everything's running smoothly. We're ready to receive the kingdom at that time. The trials that we have at the beginning of the uh, Feast of Tabernacles each year are then a preview of the millennial reign. Although he could, Christ will probably not use magic to suddenly transform the world from the mess we have made of it into the paradise that it is to become. 
Magic is, after all, a tool of witchcraft and the devil, providing instant gratification to its practitioners without them having to work for it. To do so would violate a biblical principle. We've been studying Proverbs in our Bible studies recently. Look at Proverbs 13:11, And I'm reading here from the classic Amplified Version. It says, Wealth, not earned, but won in haste, or unjustly, or from the production of things for gain and detrimental use, such riches will dwindle away. But he who gathers, little by little, will increase his riches. So if you get things quickly, wealth that you get quickly and do not earn, do not work for, you don't appreciate it as much. Don't appreciate it. If we gain wealth without having to work for it, as in winning a lottery or a great prize, then we profit very little from that gain, and it will merely dwindle over away. Rather, we grow we grow from frugally stashing away our earnings bit by bit until we have ma amassed a fortune that is meaningful for us because we made it the old-fashioned way. We earned it. Just so, I really doubt that Christ will come in long and fix everything for us upon his return. Instead, I expect that we will spend the first century or so Cleaning up the mess we have made of this world. Cleaning up the mess we have made of this God's perfect world. If our labor slowly transforms the world over the course of the millennium, it will be more meaningful for us. And we'll be less likely to mess it up the second time around. While the ultimate outcome will indeed be glorious between then and now, we have a lot of trials to go through. Anyone who thinks he can just retire into the kingdom, sit back on the front porch and sip a mint julep, is going to be in for a rude awakening. It's not going to happen. Turn to Jeremiah 30. We're going to, this is a long passage. We're going to read verses 4, 4 through 20. For these are the words that the Lord spake concerning Israel and Judah. By the way, a note here before I get started. When... Uh, Scripture is very, very sensitive to the use of names in particular. When Scripture uses Israel, it is referring to the spiritual descendants of, Judah, of Jacob. But when it uses the word Jacob, it's referring to the physical descendants of Jacob, to the carnal man instead. So be alert to that as we read through these. Now these are the words that the Lord spoke concerning Israel and Judah. For thus says the Lord, We have heard a voice of trembling, of fear, and not of peace. Ask now and see whether a man is in labor with a child. And so why do I see every man with his hand on his loin like a woman in labor, and all the faces turn pale? Alas, for that gray is date, uh, that gray is that day is great so that there is none like it and it is the time of Jacob's trouble so this is when it says Jacob's trouble it means the time of trouble for the physical descendants of Jacob that's us that's us 
but the, he shall be saved out of it. For it shall come to pass in that day, says the Lord of hosts, that I will break the yoke from off his neck, and I will burst his bond. Foreigners shall no more enslave them, but they shall serve the Lord their God, and David their king, whom I will raise up for them. Notice the image that we have pictured here. This is a portrait of the nation of Israel in captivity. And God has to come back and break the bondage off of their neck to, re, re, to restore them out of that captivity. <coughs> For it shall come... All right, I read that already. Um, Therefore, do not fear, my servant Jacob, says the Lord, nor be dismayed, O Israel, for behold, I will save you from afar. Not the kind we have in California. Uh, and, and your seed from the land of their captivity. Jacob shall return, having rest and be, have rest and be quiet. And no one shall make him afraid. For I am with you, says the Lord, to save you. Though I make a full end of all the nations where I have scattered you. Yet I will not make a complete end of you. But I will correct you in justice. And will not let you go altogether unpunished. For thus says the Lord, your affliction is incurable. Your wound severe. There is no one to plead your cause that you may be bound up. You have no healing medicine. All your lovers have forsaken you. All the nations that you made alliances with, they've gone away. They've forsaken you. They do not seek you. For I have wounded you with the wound of an enemy, with the chastisement of a cruel one, for the multitude of your iniquities, because your sins are increased. Why do you cry out about your infliction? Your sorrow is incurable because of the multitudes of your uh, iniquities because your sins are increased I have done these things to you this is correction from our father this is correction from our father therefore all those who devour you shall be devoured all your adversaries every one of them shall go into captivity those who plunder you shall become plunder and all, you, and all who prey upon you, I will make a prey. For I will res restore wealth to you and heal you of your wounds, says the Lord. Because they, because they called you uh, an outcast, saying, this is Zion. No one seeks her. Thus says the Lord, behold, I will bring back the captivity of Jacob's tent. When he says brings back the captivity... That does not mean he puts them in captivity again. The captivity is the group of people. He's going to bring back the people who have been captured. Understand that difference there. I will bring back the captivity of Jacob's tent. And have mercy on his dwelling places. The city shall be built upon its mound. And the palace shall remain uh, according uh, to its own plan. Then out from them shall proceed thanksgiving. And the voice of those who make merry. I will multiply them. And they shall not diminish. I will glorify them. And they shall not be small. And the children also. Shall be as before. And their congregation shall be established before me. And I will punish. All who oppress them. 
So we have a father who takes care of us, but he corrects us when we do wrong. Micah, verse 4, uh, 1 through 4. Again, this is the same image, the same scene. I know because it is a day unlike any other. And if you have two passages that both refer to a day unlike any other, it must be the same day. Right? All right, so Micah 4. Now it shall come to pass in the latter days that the mountain of the Lord's house, by the way, mountain means government uh, in, in many cases, the mountain of the Lord's house shall be established on the top of the mountain above all other governments and shall be exalted above the hills and the people shall flow unto it. Many nations shall come and say, Come, let us go unto the mountain of the Lord, to the house of the God of Jacob, and he will teach us his way, and we will walk in his path. For out of Zion the law shall go forth, and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. We have a message to bring to the nation. Thank you, Owen, for that. Okay, we have a message to bring to the nation. He shall judge between many people and rebuking the strong nations afar off. They shall beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Nation shall not lift up sword against nation, neither shall they learn war anymore. But every man shall sit under his vine and under his fig tree, and no one shall make them afraid, for the mouth of the Lord of hosts is spoken. I have a question for you. Why would you beat your uh, swords into plowshares and your spears in the pruning hook if you weren't going to work? We have a great job ahead of us. Full employment from here to eternity. In truth, the visions of the future are actually moot. No point in talking about the future. Why? Because the prognosticators of the futurist, prognostications of the futurists are just so much dust in the wind. It really doesn't matter. God has already set down what will be. What will be, will be. According to the sure and certain word of God. If we follow our natural deceitful heart, then we are surely damned. For we will, if we, or we will, would be if it weren't for the bountiful love of God. The most that we can really hope for is to ready our minds, to ready our hearts, so that we're not to be shocked when those end time prophecies begin to appear. Let us take to heart the advice of uh, the Apostle Paul in Romans 12 too. Do not be conformed this world but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is good and acceptable and perfect will of God it is the human heart that shapes the future let us transform ours and go beyond Thunderdome